You are listening to a podcast from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries. For more information about our church, please visit us at rmcmchurch.org. I'm just going to share some things with you that uh, I was probably three weeks or four weeks ago. I'm getting really bad at time frames. When something's a year, it's probably five. It happened about a year and a half ago. Uh, Anyway, we were here on a Wednesday morning uh, in prayer and uh, as a group, and the Lord just made several statements uh, to me as he does sometimes. And I always just, because, you know, we're praying over the church and the valley and, and all the things, whatever he brings up that we're praying over. So I wasn't looking for a message at the time. But anyway, when he starts making those statements, I just stop whatever I'm doing and write them down, come back to them uh, later on. And so I'm, I'm going to just read a couple of those things to you. And then we're just going to go through some verses. Seems like everywhere I've been going in the scripture then has been tying into these ideas. Uh, but, I, but I don't have the, my typical kind of line upon line teaching. So we're just going to look at some of the verses uh, and bring some things out of them this morning. But, but the main thing that I feel like, and, and I'm calling this faith and expectation. And, and I feel like that what the Lord's been wanting to do in, in me, and I, and I see it all around me and others and things that people are telling me, things I'm seeing in other leaders and, and churches and things, is I, I feel like God's wanting to bring anyone who's willing up a level particularly in our sense of expectation toward him about what is possible, what is impossible, because all things are possible with God. The the scripture tells us, number one, that all things are possible with God. All right, all things are possible with God. Obviously, that means all things that are within his will, but his will is pretty big. We certainly are not seeing the fullness of that yet. So um, all things are possible, so... So where should my expectation be? You know, what, what should, uh, I'm, I'm at times so limited by what feels impossible. And I need more renewing in that area to know whatever that is. If it's within the will of God, if it's within his promises, whether I've ever seen it or experienced it or know anybody who's seen it or experienced it, or whether I've been praying for it and it's been delayed, whatever, doesn't matter if it's within his will and within his word, it is possible. And when we know that, it changes some things and it really does produce a different kind of expectation in us. And so let me just read a couple of these statements and then, and then we'll talk about some of this. So what I felt, one of the things I felt like the Lord said, and I'm not going to read all of them to you, just a couple at the beginning here, was that he said, be content but never satisfied to the point that you no longer hunger for more. So a lot of times we think of contentment as, okay, I'm content. That's enough, right? He said, there is a contentment, and we're going to see this. You can turn over to Philippians chapter 4 if you want. That's where we're going to start. But Paul experienced this, and he talks about it, where there is a contentment in God where we're content, and yet we're still hungering for more. And, you know, things just don't work in the kingdom the way they do on earth. That's just the way it is. So it's one of those things that 
we just have to understand this is the way it is. God can bring a contentment. So I'm not, I'm not in anguish for something more. I'm not dissatisfied with what's here today or what I've seen so far. I'm not, I'm, I'm able to enjoy the smallest victory and continue to enjoy. I'm not forgetting what God has already done, but I have this hunger knowing there's more out there, but I'm not discontent. Does that make sense? Oh, that's all I can do is throw it out to you. There's a contentment like that in the Lord. And that's what he's saying here. Not to the point that you no longer be content, but never satisfied to the point where you are no longer, where you no longer hunger for more. And then, and then this came up, never be satisfied with the status quo, meaning the generally accepted level of what is possible, what the Lord is willing to do for you, in you, or through you. Let me read that to you again. Never be satisfied with the status quo, the generally accepted level of what is possible, or what the Lord is willing to do for you, in you, or through you. And I think through you is probably one of the biggest things there. In Christian circles, there's sort of a, let me just go ahead, I'm getting ahead of myself, but let me just go ahead and say this. The kind of expectation that faith produces, it comes to God expecting him to keep his word. And it's interesting because I've been thinking about this and this discussion came up in men's group this week too, but it's an expectation, it's an anticipation that God will keep his word. He'll do what he said. He'll do the things we've seen Jesus do. He will cont- he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He said that we would be doing the works that he did and greater works. And for the most part, we haven't even gotten to doing the works that he did. I mean, we see some of that, but there's so much more. And this expectation pulls on that, but it is not. So often when, we, when you say, Come to God expecting. Come to church expecting God to pour out to you. That can feel presumptuous. But when it's, when it's faith-driven, it's not presumptuous. It's not entitled. It's not that, well, if God doesn't do what I'm expecting him to do, I'm going to throw a little hissy fit. It's not that, okay? It is a pull and a draw and a hunger for God that he loves, he likes this and he and it changes when when all of you and and all of us come in here anticipating expecting God to do what God does he does and so much more happens and we receive so much more and that doesn't get in the way of our outpouring of love and of worship and and, and all of that, it, it, it is not, you know, we get this thing in our head that if I'm expecting, again, I'm being presumptuous. I might be stepping on God's toes. Maybe that's not okay. It's okay. That kind of expectation, we're going to see that if I ever get there. Uh, we're going to see that in the scripture. People came and when they'd seen what Jesus did, they were hungry. They were expecting. They had perseverance. They did whatever they had to do to get to Jesus. And, and you see that all through the Gospels. So, so he said, never be satisfied with that status quo, the generally accepted level of what is possible. It's like Christians have set this level of what's, I can't even think of the right word. 
acceptable, but it's almost like a cultural thing. It's like, oh, that, that, would be, that, that would be irreverent if you were to expect more than that. I don't see that in the Word. I see Jesus really enjoying having that interaction with his, with his people. I see God the Father loving to have that inner. The reason that Jesus came, the reason he, he came because of love, he came and took on flesh. The eternal word of God took on flesh and became like us and lived that life on this earth. He experienced everything that we experience, but was without sin, went to the cross, died, was buried, took the fullness of what we deserved because of our sin upon himself so that we could be free from sin so that he could come live in us by his spirit and be with us and work with us and walk with us. He wants that kind of relationship. It does not put him off for you to expect, okay? And so if you need to sort that out, if when you think about expecting from God, that feels maybe that's, that's scary, I encourage you to spend time with him and let him increase that expectation. Faith will produce that. I mean, the, the definition of the Bible word hope is, is anticipation, joyful anticipation of good coming from God. So he says, don't ever just accept that level of what's possible, what the Lord's willing to do for you, in you, or through you. Keep the limits off of that. And then finally, I'll just, I'll just share this one and then we'll get to the scripture. Absolutely nothing is impossible with God. And any time you set out to do something great in God, you will be told it's impossible whether it's in your own mind, from your own experience, just, just that part of your soul telling you it's impossible. It, it can be just a sense in you. The devil will absolutely tell you it's impossible. He will use people that he can use to tell you it's impossible. You will get the message that it's impossible and you will have to reject that and you will have to take that thought, which is a lie, captive and make it obedient to the truth that says nothing is impossible with God. And it says every word from God over in Luke chapter 1, verse 37. It, it talks about the fact that with every word from God carries the ability within itself to bring itself to pass. The Lord said back in Isaiah, my word that goes forth out of my mouth, it's like the rain and the snow that comes from heaven and it waters the earth and it doesn't come back without making seeds sprout. And he said, my word is like that. It will not return to me void. It will not return to me void without producing that which I sent it to do. The word of God is that powerful. So when the devil rises up or somebody, and you don't have to get mad at the people, I mean, I don't get mad at the people. People will come across your path to tell you that what God called you to do is impossible. And, and that can be any number of things. It will tell you it's impossible. You are responsible to reject that. You have to reject that. You let that seed, if you let that seed get in your heart, it can be impossible for you, but not because of God. Okay, does that make sense to you? All right, did you find Philippians chapter four? All right. 
Let me find it. Luckily, I have bookmarks. Okay, so I'm going to read this. Um, I'm going to begin in verse 11. I'm going to go ahead and read this from the Amplified Bible, I think. Paul's coming along and he's thanking these people for sending him an offering. All right, that's the context of it. They have, they have sent him an offering, which they have done over and over again to supply his needs. But, but he's thanking them for that. And he's saying, he says in verse 11, not that I am implying that I was in any personal want. Okay, now, now that, he's not saying I've never had a lack in my life. He's talking about his heart here. As he goes on, that becomes clear. Not implying that was any personal want, for I have learned, I have learned, notice that word learned, how to be content, satisfied to the point where I am not disturbed or disquieted. All right, so that's what he's talking about when he says content. He's, he's learned how to be satisfied to the point where he's not disturbed or disquieted in whatever state I'm in. All right, verse 12, he says, I know how to be abased and live humbly in straitened circumstances. And I know also, notice this, how to enjoy plenty. So when he had plenty, he didn't feel guilty about it. He rejoiced. He thanked God. God's a God of abundance. Okay, God wants us to live in abundance. He just doesn't want us to be selfish, greedy pigs. Okay. That's, that's opposed to his nature, just in case you didn't know. Selfish, greedy pig is not a fruit of the Spirit, okay? So he doesn't want that, but he's not opposed to abundance as long as it doesn't have hold of your heart. He needs to have hold of your heart. So he says, I've learned, I know how to be a base, live, in hum, live humbly in straightened circumstances. That means not have anything or much. And I know also how to enjoy plenty and live in abundance. I have, he says it again, learned in any and all circumstances, the secret of facing every situation, whether well-fed or going hungry, having a sufficiency and enough to spare or going without and being in want, I have, and here's the secret, here's what he learned. I have strength for all things in Christ who empowers me. The Amplified adds this, I am ready for anything and equal to anything through him who infuses his inner strength into me. I am self-sufficient in Christ's sufficiency. Lord gave Annie a word for us last week uh, during the offering. She talked about not being, she, God wanted to set some people free from self-sufficiency. And, and that's reliance on self for what we need, right? Paul's saying here, I am self-sufficient, but it's in God's sufficiency. He's, and he's saying, I, I love this. He says, I've learned how to have this sense of peace and contentment no matter what I'm facing in life, no, no matter whether things are good or bad. But I have learned, he's essentially saying, to rely on the ability and, of Christ living in me and the supply that I know is on the way. And in that place, he's found this contentment. That is a place of faith. When we have confidence in the Lord, it produces a contentment for today and an expectation for tomorrow. And, and again, if things are delayed, we don't throw a hissy fit because we know it's coming. We kind of live in a different sense of time and timing. You, you kind of got to get used to that because uh, 
our sense of time and God's sense of time are, are just different. But he learned how to wait in anticipation for supply that was already provided in promise. He saw that as a current reality. Okay, But that word learned means this wasn't automatic for Paul either. He had to walk with God. He had to assimilate the Lord's word. He had to assimilate his nature. He had to watch what God was doing in his life and around him and in the lives of others. And after you do that for a while, hopefully, we begin to learn that, you know what, I don't, I, I couldn't tell you today how this is going to work out. I have no idea, but I have a sense in my heart. It is. God is going to work this situation out. I don't see the provision today, but it's coming. It's on the way. All right. I, I don't know how this relationship's going to get fixed, but I, I know that if we just seek God, it will get fixed. You know, it's, it's, there's that sense of, so there's contentment, but there's still hunger to see the full result. All right. Faith generates, as I'm just going to read to you from my notes, faith generates a holy expectation toward God. And this is what I was saying earlier. This posture of expectation, it's not presumptuous. It's not entitled. It doesn't throw a tantrum in the face of delayed prayer. It just knows without a doubt that the supply is there, that Jesus has already provided for any area of life. I'm not just talking about finances here by any means. For any area of life, it is there. We can know that in our hearts. We can Come and, and the Lord does this. That's the wonderful thing. Because this is all, really, this is all in the realm of faith. It's what we're talking about. Faith that generates expectation. And, and faith comes, the Bible says, by hearing and hearing, continually hearing. It is a continual present tense in the Greek. Hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing and continuing to hear the spoken word of God, the rhema word of God, the conversation he's having with you personally at this time in your life. As we continue in that, faith is generated in our hearts. All right? So it's not, I've heard lately, Bill Johnson's been saying it this way. I think it's good. Faith isn't the result of striving because so often we feel that way. We feel like, okay, I've got to make myself believe something. We make a choice but it's but you can't make your heart change it's it's yielding it's it's in yielding to him it's in coming to him just with the confidence he's already given you a measure of faith it's just coming to him with the confidence that he's put in you and spending time with him and spending time in his word that will produce it will generate faith which in turn will generate a number of other things in us so Paul knew that that supply was coming. He's giving thanks for it in these particular passages. But he'd learned this. He had this ability that he didn't used to have. And he'd learned how to be content in every situation. And it was through reliance on Christ in him. I can do all things through Christ who infuses me with his very own strength. What a powerful, powerful truth. Let's go over to Matthew um, now let's go over to Luke first. Let's go to Luke first. Luke chapter 5. Again, I just want to read through some passages that have been standing out to me this morning. Luke chapter 5. I want to read through them this morning. They've been standing out to me for some time. 
And we're going to start in verse 17, Luke 5, 17. I'll read this from the Amplified too, I guess. It's not too, I have to look and see how Amplified it is, you know, because sometimes it's so much that we, we really don't need. Um, so Luke five seventeen, it says, One of those days, as he, Jesus, was teaching, there were Pharisees, this is such an incredible verse, there, there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by who had come from every village and town of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. Some of the translations say, and even from Jerusalem, because those were the big guys, right? And it says, and the power of the Lord was present with him to heal. The Amplified and, and a number of manuscripts say, the power of the Lord was present with him, Jesus, to heal them. So it's speaking not only, not of just the crowd in general, but specifically these teachers of the law, these Pharisees, these the leaders that had come from different places, who of course were very questioning in their heart about Jesus and who he was. The power of the Lord. I mean, we think, you know, was the power of the Lord ever not on Jesus to heal? Was there ever a day where Jesus couldn't heal anybody? I'm not talking about when he ran into a wall of unbelief. It says there were places where he could hardly heal anybody because they had so much doubt. But as far as within himself, there was never a time where he couldn't heal. But this, I love that this verse is here because it points out to us that sometimes uh, there are specific anointings, there are specific things that Jesus is doing. And that's often when he will give us a word of knowledge or a word of wisdom and we'll move into a certain type of, well, this morning I had a sense in my heart that he wanted to bring refreshing. I believe there was an anointing in the room to bring refreshing because that's what the Lord wanted to do. Could he do that anytime? Yeah. Could he heal anytime? Yeah. But this, this verse tells us, and, and I don't think we even know what all this means, but on this day, there was this powerful, I think the Passion Translation says something like, the power of God was surging through him to heal. You know, it's just a special anointing for that day where he was healing people. And it's just a good thing for us to know because I think when we come to him, especially in a corporate gathering like this, as one of the reasons we begin with worship is so we can all get our hearts engaged with him and start sensing what specifically, we know what you're doing is good, we know what you're doing is within your word, we know all that, but Lord, what are you doing right now today? What is it you are desiring to do in us, with us, through us, in this place today? That's, that's where my heart always goes during worship is, Lord, what, you know, we're here we will receive whatever you want to do, but God, I want to, I want to see it. I want to, I want to know it. I want to know what you're, what you're doing, what you're up to. And so on this day, this power was present to heal and, and quite possibly to heal them, to heal these people who actually, these people came in hard-hearted. The crowds were there pressing into Jesus. These guys were sitting by watching, uh, analyzing what he was saying. Was he doing it right? Is he going to violate the law? They did not come with, at, at least many of them, did not come with open hearts. And yet the power was on him to heal them. So in verse 18 it says, And behold, some men were bringing on a stretcher a man who was paralyzed. And they tried to carry him in and lay him before Jesus. What's going on? Did you do something? 
Oh, okay, okay. I thought maybe Becky's face was on the screen again. We haven't seen that in a couple decades. It was awesome. Never mind. Verse 18, Behold, some men were bringing on a stretcher, a man who was paralyzed. They tried to carry him in and lay him before Jesus. So here they are trying to get in to get to Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him with his stretcher through the tiles into the midst in front of Jesus. Now one thing that strikes me right there, right away, is not only the passion that they had. That's obvious that they, that's what I mean, that the faith that was in them drove them to be persistent until they could get their friend to Jesus. Dig through the roof. I'm not sure, I just don't know how that went over with everybody else, but Jesus loved it. And, and they brought this guy. But here's the other thing. They came up to a crowd of believers and they couldn't get through to the one person who carried the presence of God that could heal their friend. In the New Testament, after the cross, after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the people, if they were believers, at the very back of that crowd could have turned around and laid hands on that man and saw him get up off of that pallet because that is the difference between the Old Testament and the New That is why Jesus did what he did, so that every one of us could be filled with the Holy Spirit, begin to walk with him, and what did he say? Do the things that he was doing, and greater things than those. That is the difference. We all carry that anointing. Are we Jesus? No. At least I'm not. I don't know about you. I know I'm not, okay? Jesus knows I'm not. Nevertheless, this is his commission. This is what he has called us to do. He has called us to heal the sick, raise the dead, uh, preach the power of the gospel in, in him, right? We carry him. You carry him where you go. And yes, we're all in a growth process and we all have insecurities and we're all not there yet. Yep, got it. But he is, he is there now. He is, you're not there yet. Okay, we're all good with that. But he is. And he's in you. And he has called you. And he's not expecting you to heal somebody. He just wants you to carry him to them. And, and so that crowd, the very back people, they're believers. I'm just seeing this. I was reading this this morning. I was thinking, thank you, Jesus, for the new covenant. They wouldn't have had to dig through the roof. They could have, any one of us could have prayed for that person and, and I know, I know what your brains are doing. Mine does it too. But shut that stuff off. <laughs> Go with what the Lord says about you and about me and about his will for us. Okay, does that make sense? Yep. All right. So, so they came and they dug through that roof and they brought this guy to Jesus. When Jesus, and of course this raised a ruckus with, with the people who he had the power to heal there. Instead, they made this choice. When he saw their confidence in him springing from their faith he said man your sins are forgiven and the scribes and the pharisees began to reason i love this and question and argue saying who is this man who speaks blasphemies right there they took themselves out of the running to get healed that day obviously if the anointing was on him to heal them 
or even if it was on, on him to heal everyone, some of those scribes and Pharisees probably needed healing. And there was the anointing for that, a special anointing for that. But what, where their hearts went was, is he doing it right? He's saying the wrong thing. And he's claiming, it says, he speaks blasphemies. Who can forgive sins but God alone? So what they heard him say when he said, your sins be forgiven, what they heard him say was, I'm God. And they were right. That is what he was saying. And when you have people, this is just a sidebar, when you have people come to you and say, oh, I used to have, I don't know, I haven't heard it for a little while, but I've had lots of people over the years, you know, just scholarly people who've never read their Bibles, but they think they know everything about the Bible and they always take you back to these Old Testament passages and tell you anyway. But, but they'll say, um, well, Jesus never even claimed to be God. Yeah, he did. He didn't carry a banner around that said, I am God. But he claimed to be God just like this over and over and over to the point where they frequently tried to kill him over it. Obviously, they were hearing, I am God. There's no question that he presented himself as God the Son. There's absol- there was no question in these people's minds what he was saying. And that is what he was saying. And they said, who can forgive sins but God alone? Verse 22, but Jesus, knowing their thoughts and questioning, so they didn't say this out loud to him. This is, Jesus moved in a word of knowledge right here. And we can move in the word of knowledge too. Jesus, knowing their thoughts and questionings, answered them, why do you question in your hearts? So again, this wasn't out loud. Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, arise and walk. Okay, and, and you know the rest of the story. So what he was saying was, he said that on purpose to get their attention. And nobody could prove that, the, that his sins were forgiven. Nobody could, it, well, you can't see that. And that's what he was saying. So which one's easier to say? I could say that all day long. I could say your sins are forgiven all day long. But in order to show that the Son of Man has the power to forgive sins, rise up and walk. And the guy got up and walked. And so there was no, and that's what, that's what signs and wonders and miracles do. It's not just something for us to get excited about and follow around. They, they, they follow the word of God. They follow believers. We're not supposed to follow them. They follow us. But they are the calling card, the hallmark that tell people God is real and God is here and God is willing to touch your life. All right, so we need to, as Paul told us in 1 Corinthians 14, eagerly desire the best gifts in different situations, eagerly desire to have the Lord flow in in the gifts of the Spirit through us. So what I really wanted to point out here was that that genuine faith and expectation toward God, it will will produce a passion and a perseverance, maybe a passionate perseverance, that these people found a way. There was faith in their hearts. There was confidence about who Jesus was and what he would do. And that produced in them this, they went up on the roof and they dug it out and they lowered him into this crowd of people that was around Jesus. I mean, they went to a great length to make this happen. And, and it wasn't because they were so different or special. It was because their faith was active. And, and that's, you know, that's what he, it says. He saw their faith. He saw their faith. That actions like that 
our willingness to expect and to pull and to pursue and to go, those actions are demonstrations of faith. And I guess we're not even going to get to the next verses. This has never happened before, just so everybody knows. Um, I think we'll just leave it right here. But we don't run around, we shouldn't run around, trying, we don't have to run around, trying to demonstrate faith. What we need to do is monitor the input into our hearts, guard our hearts, like it says in Proverbs 4. That's like four passages down that we're not going to get to today. Guard our hearts. It says with all vigilance, because out of them flow the issues of life. Well, we've got to monitor the input. We can't we can't be those people of expectation and nothing's impossible with God and just excited to see what God's going to do next. We, we're not going to really have that in our lives in any sustainable way without cutting out a lot of the junk we like to put in our hearts and putting in the word of God and time with him and come to him in a childlike way and say, you know, just come with that attitude that, Lord, what are you going to do today? I want to follow you around and I want to be involved and I want to partner with you. What are you going to do today? I want to be a part of it and have that attitude. If, if we are hearing, like we said, listening with the intent to obey, to remember, to hang on. It, the, the Bible is not just this kind of side thing that we come to once in a while when we're having a bad day or whatever. You know, it is the word of God and we're feeding on it. And, and there are going to be things we're going to have to eliminate. Also, if you're having a check in your spirit about something you're watching or listening to or reading or a relationship that you have or whatever, get it out of your life. This is it, people. This is the life. This is the meal, okay? I mean, this is the life that we have with him. I know it's eternal, but... This is the life like this on this earth where we can see him do incredible things, worship him in hard times, all that stuff. This is it. So let's do it. But anyway, then that faith will, be, will work in you and you'll have that confidence. It'll get demonstrated. You'll demonstrate it automatically. You know, and it may not even seem like a big deal to you when you demonstrate it, but it will to other people. People will see it and they'll see Jesus, not you, in it. Okay, and isn't that what we all want? All right, let's stand up and pray. My expectation is we will be on faith and expectation two next week. Okay. <laughs> all right, Father, I just thank you again for everything you've done just in this couple of hours, Lord, since we've gathered here. I know you've done much more than we can see. I know that you have touched hearts, Lord. I know that your word has come into us. We asked and, and Lord, we just receive that, Lord, the words that you have spoken, that you have put your mark on, Lord, in us, those words are alive. They are good seed. They're going to produce tremendous fruit. And Father, I just pray for all of us that we wouldn't be struggling with these things, that we would just have that childlike enthusiasm, Lord, about you and about what you're going to do in a very real way in our lives. And that, Lord, you made all of us different, which is really interesting. We are all so different. And as we go out into our communities, Lord, into our friends and families and this community and other communities, 
we carry you and help us to remember we carry you into every situation. And Lord, I know, at least for me, I don't want to struggle to represent you. I just want you to flow out. So Lord, we just ask you, Holy Spirit, come and help us with all of that. Partner with with us in all of that. As we go out this week, we know you create opportunities. You create opportunities for a prayer. You can create opportunities, Lord, for us to minister to other people. Small ways, big ways, Lord, demonstrate generosity, whatever it might be, Lord. We know you create those opportunities and we want to make the most of them. So, so Lord, we just go out with submitted hearts. We ask you to keep us aware of what you're doing. And we look forward, Father, with great expectancy to all that you will do in us and through us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. We're going to be dismissed this morning. There are some snacks out there. We're hanging around and fellowshipping again, which is awesome. So many awesome things that we used to take for granted. And uh, so anyway, hang around, make some friends. And if you need prayer, if you need personal prayer this morning, please come up and one of us would be very happy to pray for you today. So on the count of three, we're going to say Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin. The world will be dismissed. And I guess that's it. One, two, three. Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin and the world. Go out there and be the church. Thank you for listening to this message from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries in Gunnison, Colorado. We hope you will visit us at rmcmchurch.org, like our Facebook page, or subscribe to our messages on YouTube.